Hello and welcome to The Conscious Capitalists, hosted by two of the co-founders of the Conscious Capitalism Movement and co-authors of the Conscious Capitalism Field Guide from Harvard Business Press, Raj Sisodia and Timothy Henry. Each week, this podcast covers current events and business news and Raj and Timothy's latest thinking on what it takes to build a conscious business. For more information and notes from the show, go to www.theconsciouscapitalists.com. And now, Raj and Timothy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode nine of The Conscious Capitalists. And uh, my host, my co-host on this, Raj Sisodia, and myself, today we're going to talk about the fourth pillar of conscious capitalism, leadership. We talked about it last week as sort of an introduction. We're going to go a little deeper today. Hey, Raj. Hi, Timothy. Good to see you again. Good to see you. Um, Hey, whose birthday is it today? <laughs> well, it so happens it's Gandhi's uh, 151st uh, anniversary of Gandhi's birth. And uh, we thought it would be appropriate, actually, to start there because Gandhi did represent a particular kind of leadership, which I think is closer to conscious leadership than other forms of leadership. You know, for his entire life, Gandhi never held any position. Uh, he was a lawyer. He worked as a corporate lawyer for a while until he had his awakening and he came to South Africa. You know, he was pretty successful. He used to wear these suits. And then one night he boarded a train near Dublin and uh, uh, boarded a compartment that was whites only and was thrown out, literally physically thrown out on the platform and sat there the whole night in the cold. And that's when his conscience was awakened. His eyes were open to the suffering all around. And he had been so focused on just building his career and making money that he didn't see any of the injustice. And so that was the beginning of it. And then as he uh, became the Gandhi who we know, he acquired tremendous personal power, as we would say. He had no positional power ever. As I said, never held a title, never ran for anything. And yet he had power that exceeded all the others that had all of those uh, positions because of his moral authority, because of his sense that he was on the right side of history and uh, his commitment to achieving that through peaceful means. Uh, all of which, I mean, that became the template for uh, Martin Luther King and uh, Nelson Mandela uh, and many, many others, of course, right? So I think it's an example of tremendous personal power. How do you cultivate that? He was a tiny little man, right? Um, not an imposing figure, and yet over time, just because he refined his own spirit and his consciousness and clarified his own uh, sense of uh, destiny and purpose in his life, yeah, this extraordinary impact on the world. And so I think he exemplifies that. And he also illustrates what Nilima and I are calling uh, our vision of the whole leader, the whole human being with all of the dimensionalities that we have. And we refer to the wise school of tough love. Mm. You're simultaneously wise, you're, you're tapping into that elder energy or the divine wisdom that exists. And you have this childlike quality, the joy and the creativity that comes with that. You're incredibly strong, you're tough, and you're coming ultimately from a place of love. And I think Gandhi did embody all of those. Yeah. You know, he was very playful, uh, very childlike, not childish, but childlike in many ways. And of course, uh, great wisdom as well as uh, toughness and love. So. Yeah, no, I think it's fascinating because if you look at it from the British point of view, 
they were so astounded. It was uh, like, what do we do? I mean, there's this man. He has. Well, who are we negotiating with? Like, like who, who has the power to make a decision here? <laughs> and, um, yeah, Churchill, Churchill was completely stunned by him. And Churchill, I mean, he said, this half-naked fakir, like, who is he you know, to negotiate with the British Empire? Well, like, you could say that he kind of uh, brought about the end of the British Empire. Anyways, mm-hmm. That was the biggest, the jewel yeah. in the crown, so to speak, right? That, that once that was gone, it was pretty yeah. much over. So I think that's a that's a good starting place to think about conscious leadership and cultivating the sense of self. Well, I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting, Raj, because you get into this discussion about, you know, nowadays we have so many different versions of leadership. You know, pick your favorite word. You put it in front of you have servant leadership, authentic leadership. You know, you have higher ambition leadership, caring leadership, values based leadership, purpose driven leadership, level five leadership. And um, and I'm curious, you know, when, when you think about all of these different words that could put in front to sort of qualify leadership, what, what do you take from that? Well, I think, uh, first of all, I mean, it is kind of the holy grail to figure out what makes leadership work. You know, it's ultimately the thing that drives so much else in our world. And so it reflects the importance that people give to leadership, rightly so. Uh, but also, I think it reflects, it's kind of the parable of the uh, seven blind men and the elephant. You know? Everybody is looking at one side of it, right? So yeah, authentic leadership is important. Of course, you have to be leading from a place of being true to who you are. Uh, and yes, urban leadership is important. You have to be selfless and not selfish, and you have to be there to take people to a better place. Uh, you need spiritual leadership, of course. We understand meaning and purpose. You have to be a transformational leader. All of those are important, but... They are dimensions of what a whole leader is. And so we have thought about conscious leadership as kind of a include and transcend all of the essential elements of those things, right? That this actually incorporates all of those dimensions, right? And more. So this, I think, just like conscious capitalism has been a a broader movement than, let's say, uh, inclusive capitalism or... um, you know, the CSR movement, or even I would say, uh, you know, Michael Porter's shared value. I mean, those are all, you know, smaller dimensions of the, of the bigger picture. I think we've always tried to look at the whole picture uh, in conscious capitalism, and I think that applies to conscious leadership as well. You know, I also think that um, the consciousness point emphasizes something that I think is, is, is really important, which is around doing leadership versus being leadership. And because I was involved with the authentic leadership work for a while, um, I remember people would ask me, they'd sort of say, well, you know, if if people are authentic, does that mean that authentic leader is just always saying what's ever on your mind? And, And I would say, well, you know, it's the difference between doing authentic. You know, when you're doing authentic, you know, it's unfiltered. You, you think that being authentic is saying whatever, on, on, whatever you're thinking at that moment. But being authentic is coming from a deeper place. It's where you're, you're, you're opening up and being vulnerable and you're creating great empathy with someone. And that's always stuck with me as being one of the values of the conscious leadership element is that part, that emphasis on the being. On, on who you are as a human being, um, not just on what you're doing. You don't do conscious leadership. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's a very critical point because 
it's really saying we need to become more conscious human beings, mm. all of us. And how do we do that? And once we are, then when we are in a position of leadership, we're going to show up in a certain way as yeah. a conscious human being. So it's really the emphasis you know, is on the consciousness part first. Yeah. Right? And then how does that apply into leadership? And there, yeah, there are some skills and so forth, the behaviors, uh, competencies that you do need, even as a conscious human being, uh, but that's not really where the true impact comes from. Yeah, uh, from the elements that reflect that deeper consciousness. Well, I think that's interesting because I think one of the focuses we're going to try to put in today is a little bit about uh, maybe a little more—I don't know—practical side, but it's about developing leaders as yourself and and others, and um, and maybe we'll start with that part of you know, like if I want to develop as a leader, um, what does that mean? What, what, how do you, what, what do we tell someone? How do we help somebody understand? Um, you want to go on a leadership journey? Great. Let's talk about it. What do you think are some of the elements of that? Well, as you said, it is a developmental journey, right? It's about becoming a whole person and becoming uh, who you are meant to be. And in, in, in our book, Shakti Leadership, you know, we kind of framed it in that way. You know, so we can talk about that as one approach, you know, to becoming a conscious leader, right? Mm-hmm. What that uh, framework entails. And the other one that I think really uh, does a good job on that is the leadership circle uh, profile, frame, the framework developed uh, by uh, Bob Anderson and, uh, and Bill Adams. Yeah. Which also gets at that developmental aspect of, of becoming yeah. a more conscious leader over time. Yeah. Well, I think that in our book, you know, that you and I wrote, um, we brought up uh, Shikramar Rao's uh, approach around what he called self-mastery. And, and uh, if I recall, there were sort of four or five different elements of, of that self-mastery. And, and I thought that was a really good way of starting to talk about that journey. And, you know, the first one was sort of, you know, the self-talk. How do you start to quiet that inner voice that's chattering away. And so the first step in self-mastery is being aware of, in a sense, your own sort of self-talk, the negative self-talk that might be there. And that leads into the whole positive psychology movement and, um, and what voice are you listening to? And then the, the second element was around, um, you know, becoming more mindful and, you know, the phrase that always comes to my mind to remind myself is be in the present moment, <laughs> you know, like you can only be present right now in this moment. And, uh, and how does uh, an individual start to think about developing that capability to be mindful and present? And then the last three were, you know, cultivating gratitude and having a gratitude and appreciation kind of mindset. Um, and then living in another centered universe, you know, a little bit of the self, self, uh, the servant leadership bit of, you know, focus on the we, not just on the me. And then finally, um, being comfortable with the not making a judgment in the moment and getting too lost in what's happened right in front of you. He describes it well as the good news, bad news. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> um, so those were the five ways he talked about it and that we wrote about it in the book. I'm wondering you know, what would you add to that? Or, and, and how does Shakti leadership start to fit into that? Yeah, so I, I think Shakti includes many of those elements. Um, uh, and the word Shakti, the reason the book is called Shakti is that Shakti is the Indian word that refers to uh, power, 
right? To uh, anything that moves, anything that has any uh, dynamism to it, right? If that is, so there's the consciousness and then there's the Shakti, right? So the Shiva and the Shakti, the stillness and then the dynamic, dynamic force. So that, is, and that, by, that is generally seen as a feminine energy uh, in the uh, Indian system, interestingly. Uh, and so the idea of Shakti leadership is to, first of all, incorporate the idea of the divine feminine energy that propels everything, that gives birth, that gives life. So sort of acknowledging that uh, dimension and then looking at how we can tap in to the infinite power that exists and integrating that because, you know, we can get confined by our genders and uh, behave in limited ways because you're a boy, you're supposed to behave in this way and a girl is supposed to behave in this way. And as we know, at a societal level, we have suppressed women and we have suppressed the feminine, right? So anything that a, a man does that you want to ridicule him for, you would call it, you know, why are you behaving like a girl or whatever. That's, we have that built into our psyches and our cultures. Right? And so becoming whole means uh, activating the complementary side. Right? And so we've had women have been sidelined. So men have been forced to operate with only that one dimension and the hyper, it becomes hypermasculine. And then women also, when they show up in leadership, have kind of had to manifest that. Unfortunately, that's all changing. Right? Yeah. But what we don't want to do is to go from this extreme of my masculine to the other extreme of feminine, because they are positive on both positive elements on both sides, right? I saw something today actually around that, Raj, that I thought was really pretty cool. It was a sign that sort of said patriarchy to partnership and it's this idea that we're not trying to replace the patriarchal society with uh with something the opposite we're trying to find the middle ground we're trying to find a middle ground now to do that we have to swing a lot to get over there because it is very uh masculine focused but i thought that was exactly the right kind of sentiment we're looking for that partnership in the middle Right, so it's that polar managing those polarities, and that's a critical one, right? And it's not saying that we need to dilute everybody down so that nobody's really anything. It's saying we want a full spectrum. We want to be all the positive, beautiful qualities of the masculine and all the positive, beautiful qualities of the feminine simultaneously embodied within us, whether we're a man or a woman, and we stay away from the downsides of each, the hyper-masculine, the domination, the aggression, the hyper-competition, the winning at all costs, right? Mm -hmm. Or on the other side, becoming sentimental or needy or dependent and so forth, right? So I think that was one of the big elements of wholeness. So once you've cultivated that, now you're, you're a whole human being and you have access to all those energies. And the next thing then is flexibility. So it's, it's presence, wholeness, and now flexibility, which says, I need to be able to discern what's needed in a given situation and then show up with that energy. Yeah. Right? So whether it's, I need wisdom, I need to be foolish or you know, playful, I need to be tough, I need to be loving, which of those are needed right now? Yeah. If you use the wrong approach in, the, in that situation, it would backfire, right? So you have the discernment to know what is needed and then the flexibility to manifest that. Right? So I love this discussion because it's, um, it, it's the real stuff that, that, that lies at the heart of leadership. And at the same time, I'm also aware that we're going to have some younger listeners who are early in their careers. And I think the message to them is that this is a journey, that this idea of self-mastery is an ongoing process. And, um, and what's important is to bring some attention to what are some of the practices that you're developing personally 
to begin to go on that journey to go deeper. And um, I'm wondering if you have some suggestions for people around, you know, we talk about self-mastery, we talk about um, finding this place of balance and wholeness. What are some of the two or three practices that you think, you know, uh, people earlier in their career should be considering? Well, I do believe the presence practice is one of those. And uh, later on, we can put on the uh, on the website uh, a link to a, an audio recording of, uh, of that practice that I did for the Chicago chapter, I think, a, few, a couple of years ago. Yeah. Uh, don't become, uh, you know, we, we retain a beginner's mind yeah. all through our lifetime so that we're continually learning and growing and and uh, don't have sort of the arrogance yeah. that comes with uh, believing that you know, uh, yeah. uh, know everything, right? The last thing for that, by the way, is, is this idea of congruence, just to finish the Sakti framework. Mm. So you're flexible, and then all the while you're remaining congruent with your own purpose and your own values. Yeah. So what are you trying to achieve in the world, right? So make sure that you're in service of that, in the way, and you're doing it through being whole and being flexible, right? So that's that's kind of the, uh, the framing of Shakti leadership. Uh, I love it. And I, I think that... Um... You know, you brought up uh, Leadership Circle and um, and the instrument that they have, that, that Bob Anderson has. And for many people, I think you, you go and you take that. And, um, you know, it's an interesting instrument to give you some feedback. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, you can go to uh, Bob Anderson's website, and we'll put that in the notes. Um, and you can see what that instrument is. And you know, just doing it on yourself and, and reflecting on what is there can be can be quite helpful as part of this self-knowledge. And I also think it's important to develop certain habits like journaling. Many people find journaling to be a very helpful way of starting to reflect on what's going on inside of them and to start to differentiate some of these voices that that they hear or, or being more aware of one's self-talk. So, you know, the presencing practice around meditation and that kind of thing, journaling, uh, both daily journaling, uh, um, and also, you know, keeping a gratitude journal to build up appreciation. You know, these are things that's really interesting. They're becoming popular in the popular culture, um, so to speak. And at the same time, they're also important elements of developing yourself as a person. Yeah, uh, a little bit more on the LCP. I mean, I think what, what I love about that framework because we've been searching for which of these uh, frameworks uh, is most closely aligned with conscious leadership and conscious capitalism. And I think by far the FCP is. And what I love about it is that they have, you know, especially Bob Anderson has done the research and has you know, had deep dives into all of the uh, aspects of this that need to be integrated, whether it's systems thinking or whether it's yeah. adult developmental uh, uh, literature from Bob Keegan and others, whether it's the ego shadow work from Carl Jung or cognitive psychology or yeah. uh, Maslow's work or authenticity, uh, you know, achievement, motivation, all of that has been brought together quite elegantly mm. uh, into a uh, deceptively simple uh, but, but really deep framework that not only gives you a snapshot of where you are today and what's driving your level of effectiveness or not, right? How reactive are you and how driven are you by fear and, and those mm-hmm. kinds of things? And also a pathway forward yeah. to say, how do I develop more of those creative qualities 
more of those relational qualities, system thinking capacities, uh, meaning and purpose and vision, all of that. So yeah. it's really a powerful framework and, and you can get a pretty deep uh, assessment for free on their website. And then if you really want to uh, go deeper into that, then you get a number of other people to also do the assessment on about you. And yeah. that gives you a real uh, pathway and a snapshot into what you need to do to develop. Yeah, no, in my leadership coaching, having an instrument like that where the second aspect of having other people reflect, because we sometimes we have our blind spots. We, we fill our own sort of survey in and it's self-reporting and, and then it's always fascinating to then, you know, sit with a leader and say, you know, they think that they're very high on this caring and connection side. <laughs> they're a very caring person. Who doesn't want to be a caring person? And they get this feedback that maybe... Maybe they're not being quite perceived that way. And it leads to a really interesting, you know, question of, well, like, well, what could be going on with me yeah. that, that I could be, you know, not seeing how others are seeing me. So I think that's a very powerful, very powerful thing to do if your organization allows you to, it, to do it or just for free, at least getting that first cut at yourself. Um, yeah. I think that's very helpful. And they have a lot of data. I mean, they've done this on quarter million leaders, I think, and something like two million assessments that people have done. And they've been able to then correlate their data, right, in terms of what kind of a profile we're trying to evolve towards and how that then correlates with leadership effectiveness, uh, as well as with business performance. Mm. And correlations are extremely high, as in like 80, 90 percent, you know, R squared, you know, the coefficient coefficient. So it is, it is. It's, it's geared towards individual development, but it also then shows the link very clearly uh, yeah. to organizational performance. And then, of course, leadership performance, which is then going to impact the happiness and well-being yeah. of all the people that, uh, that uh, your leadership impacts. Well, having said that, and that's at a very, you know, being level, I also think there's probably two other elements for a person to be thinking about as they're considering their own leadership development. And, and one of those elements is... Um, really starting to be conscious about the choices you're making about um, how you practice your leadership. So in your career, what are those next steps that are going to challenge you um, as a leader to grow? So where's that learning edge for yourself? And how do you start putting yourself in positions where you're constantly having an opportunity to practice your leadership and get better? And um, you know, if people can get stale after a while doing the same job over and over again. So if you really want to continue to develop as a leader, it's important to be on your learning edge and exposing yourself in that way. Um, I also think it's really interesting to, um, and, and Chip Connolly really drove this home. Chip Connolly has been involved with the um, conscious capitalism movement for a long time, he used to run um, Joie de Vivre, a set of uh, boutique hotels. Uh, but most recently um, was the uh, chief hospitality officer at Airbnb for a while. He just stepped down from that position, I think, last month. But what he said was very interesting. So here's Chip, a guy that's uh, you know in his late 50s, and he's working for a CEO who, when he started working, was in his uh, you know mid to late 20s. <laughs> And it was a typical sort of Silicon Valley startup, technology-focused, uh, got all of the energy of a, of a Silicon Valley young group. And here was this guy in his 50s uh, coming along and sort of saying, 
you know, I might have something to offer you <laughs> in the sense of, of mentoring you and mentoring the team as leaders. And Chip went on to write a book about that, about eldership and the whole idea that, uh, and as you, as you pointed out a moment ago, you know, this, the wisdom of the elder and the energy of the youth, mm -hmm. how do you bring those together? So if you're a younger person uh, on your leadership development journey, you know, finding some mentors, some people who bring a wisdom and bring a certain set of experiences um, can be very helpful in terms of your development. So seek out opportunities to practice leading. Um, look for somebody who's a mentor who can be very helpful with this. And then the last and often, you know, we, we dismissed it at one level, but it's also still important, which is this whole idea that there are certain skills that, you know, a leader, uh, a leader has to be a good manager at some level. And, you know, we do understand there are certain skills, uh, you know, a manager needs to have. You need to be able to, to read a balance sheet. You need to be able to give good feedback. You need to be able to communicate clearly. You need to be able to write a strategic plan. There are a set of skills that are also, right, you know, very important. And I don't want to, you know, that's traditionally been how people look at leadership development. Come, we'll train you. We'll give you a bunch of skills and you'll be all set. Um, but you know, the pendulum swinging in a different direction, but you still need those things. You still need to be a good manager in that sense. And, and I think that's important. So, yeah, I would just add to that list. So it's not communicating. People always think that means I speak better. But it means I listen empathetically. So listening. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and then making good agreements, making clear agreements, right? Um, and then all the other things that you mentioned, giving feedback, of course, uh, and yeah. feedback, uh, very critical. So all of those elements are, are important, but that's kind of the outer game yeah. of leadership. Uh, and then there's the inner game of leadership, which is where it's all sourced from. Yeah. So you have to do both. It's not either of either or the other, but all of those tools will become that much more positively impactful when you are sourcing from the right energy. Yeah. You could have somebody who's a very efficient manager, but sourcing it all in the wrong way, right? Yeah. And therefore, what they're trying to do in the world, you know, is, is, is doesn't inspire and might even be harmful, but they're doing it very efficiently and effectively. So yeah. we don't want that, right? So, but I think yeah, it's, it is a combination of those things. Yeah, I think it comes back to your word congruency, you know, in a sense, it's uh, I'm doing the inner work and the outer work. I'm learning, I'm developing, I'm putting myself in situations and environments where I can keep pushing on my learning edge and I'm getting mentoring and coaching advice uh, in a way that helps me to continue to see things, maybe sometimes from a different perspective. Um, the, the ultimate goal of this journey is full alignment between every aspect of who you are, between your purpose, your values, your behavior, right? Uh, in every aspect of your life as a leader, but also as, as, as a parent, as a human being generally. Yeah. How can we move towards full alignment so we don't have any disharmony or inconsistencies? Yeah. Uh, within us? And that, you know, I think that's a lifelong journey. So, I mean, we're never gonna get there fully. But my, uh, my friend uses the metaphor of becoming a self-cleaning oven. Right. <laughs> Explain that one. Go ahead. <laughs> you know, even as you work on yourself, life keeps happening, right? And the things keep coming up. And uh, it's not that once you're done, uh, you know, learning about these things, you're done. 
So you have to continually then look at, okay, what, what new things have happened and what do I need to, how do I need to process those and what do I learn from them and what do I need to let go? Yeah. Um, so kind of the self-cleaning uh, aspect of, of a conscious leader. It's a journey, the leadership journey that uh, that uh, that we all are on at one level, and which is particularly important if you're involved in in helping to lead organizations. So that's the leadership journey from the personal side. I also think it's interesting, Raj, is that you then step back and you sort of say, and I've got an organization with 50,000 people in it, and we've got to think about what it means to develop leaders at scale. Yeah. So how do we start to think about creating, um, you know, a quote-unquote leadership development program yeah. or exercise within an organization? Yeah, no, I think we have to first get very clear about what does good leadership look like in our organization? What do we celebrate? You know, what do we consider to be outstanding leadership? Because if the definition of that is purely in terms of numbers and metrics and uh, efficiency and all of those kinds of things, that's going to cultivate a certain kind of culture and atmosphere, right? But is it actually centered in people? Is it about taking people to a better place? Is it about achieving a, you know, the purpose that we have, uh, et cetera? So we have to be very clear about that, right? And then we have to figure out which Potential leaders are in harmony with that. You know, my experience in this is really from Barry Weimler, uh, looking at what they did, uh, Bob Chapman, uh, uh, and, and the leaders of that company did in terms of once they determined uh, what they stood for, they uh, wrote down their guiding principles of leadership, uh, their core values, et cetera. And then they said, okay, what kind of leaders uh, do we really want in this company? Yeah, really had to do with putting people at the center and enabling them to grow and be happy and uh, and feel respected and you know all of those kinds of dimensions. Yeah, uh, and so then based upon that, they developed a detailed uh, leadership checklist uh, using the analogy of what pilots and uh, surgeons have to do or doctors. Right, that there is a checklist and they need to make sure that every item is checked off. Mm -hmm. And they take on on a flight or uh, start a new uh, operation. And, and at Barry Vemula, they believe that leadership is equally vital in the sense that you too have people's well-being in your hands as a leader, and therefore you need to not just do some of those or most of those, but all of those things that are on that list. And then they train to that, they develop. But one of the key elements there is they don't, like many companies, look at their people and then identify those that are on the fast track of the so-called high potentials, right? Um, they actually require people to apply. There's an application process. You have to put your hand up and say, I aspire to be a leader uh, in our system. And you know, I know that leadership here means it's the awesome responsibility of leadership. It's the stewardship of the lives entrusted to me that we measure success by the way we touch the lives of people, et cetera. If all of that is, is highly motivational and inspirational to somebody, doesn't matter if they're working on the factory floor, they can say, I want to learn how to be a, a leader. Yeah. You apply and then you get selected to be that. So it's not, people are not anointed. Yeah. People have to self-select and, and then earn their way into those roles. Yeah. Uh, but it does ensure that people are seeking to become leaders for the right reasons to serve and to take people to a better place rather than to just get the corner office and the higher pay and status that comes with it. Yeah, no, I like that. That's the idea. 
I use the word leadership at all levels. You know, uh, there, there is leadership in many, many ways that it can be demonstrated in an organization. And, and so I think that the, the two important things that came out of that, that little discussion we just had was, one, be clear about what good leadership looks like in your organization. Don't pick somebody else's model and try to impose it. Understand, like, what does good leadership look like for our culture, for the environment we're trying to create here, and for the business challenges we have? And given that, then what does a good development program look like to help us get to that point and help people with the self-mastery, with the right set of skills, etc.? And then... I think you raise a, a very interesting point, which is, you know, this, this issue of leadership at all levels. And when I sort of start and look at, you know, 50,000 people or 30 or 70, pick your number, when you have large numbers, it's interesting to look and say, where are the important transition points that are sort of natural leadership transition points in our organization? So, for example, the first time someone's a frontline leader, you know, and now for the first time you have somebody reporting to you. Um, that might be on a factory line. It might be, you know, you're a store manager in a small retail organization. So that's a point where there's sort of uh, an inflection point of, of leadership and people step up in a different way. And so I think it's important for an organization to sort of look and say, what are those for us, those three, four, five key inflection points for leadership that might be everywhere from, like I said, first-time leaders to uh, the first time I'm having to lead through people. So that means I'm now promoted to a level where I have people that are two or three levels removed from me, and now I have to lead through others in order to influence where my department or my group is going. And and then, you know, clearly another big one is obviously when you start to step up to senior P&L responsibility, and now suddenly you're having to figure out what is that blend of business skills I have along with developing um, a lot of people inside my organization to be, you know, motivated and uh, inspired to perform at a level that's higher. Um, so I think it's important for an organization to look and sort of say, okay, within our business, where are there certain you know, clear inflection points where responsibilities and how do we develop a program for being able to uh, meet people where they are at those points in their, in their journeys? Mm -hmm. And then I think the, the other thing that's, that's really important, and it comes out of some of the work from Keegan and Leahy as well, which is this whole idea of a de deliberately developmental organization. And particularly, what does that mean for leadership? And, um, you know, I think the Motley Fool does a great job of this, by the way, you know, where they call it the self-curating process, where on the one hand, you are self-curating, you are taking responsibility for your own development and sort of saying, okay, given the feedback I've got, what do I need to be doing? What can I be trying to do? And at the same time, that being coupled with the organization creating the infrastructure to support that. So it takes an infrastructure to support that. And, and that includes having the right kind of programs available. But it also involves an attitude of sort of saying, we're going to help you find the right place for you to get the right set of experiences inside our organization so you can grow. And it's not just like it's a step ladder that you walk up and you go, but 
but we're going to sit with you and try to understand, given who you are, given your strengths, given your developmental opportunities, how can we put you in a position to win and to improve and get better? Um, and so that's everybody, a, everybody is assigned a coach or is, has the opportunity to work with a coach there. That's correct, who will help them, you know, pull together everything they've got and sort of say, what does my individual plan look like? But then organizationally, they're also, you know, got an ability to look across, you know, it's a relatively small organization, 400 people, but be able to look and say, like, where could I, you know, what are the opportunities for me to do this? And when you get into a larger corporation, you know, it begins to say, hey, listen, maybe you need to be put in finance for a while, or maybe we can put you in a, a foreign uh, a foreign station for a while, or we'll, you know, but that ability for the people system to have the flexibility and the awareness of how to help customize something for the individual, but do that at scale is, is a non-trivial capability for an organization to have. And, yeah, and I think let's just talk a little bit about coaching because I've become a big believer mm-hmm. in the power of coaching. And I believe that every leader should have a good coach. Right? And I think that's just part of the developmental journey. And uh, uh, there's just so much insight that comes from that and so much growth that happens. It's, yeah. it's quite nothing actually. Yeah, no, I think it's, you know, self-advertising as somebody who sometimes does coach leaders. Um, I think it's incredibly important every now and then. Uh, two things that I think come out of it. One is just the discipline of having time in your calendar. It is so easy as a leader to get pulled along by the events and flow of the day. Um, having a coaching session in your calendar where you know you're going to stop and you're actually going to focus on this. There's an incredibly important discipline of just having that. And then I think the second observation I would have is that, you know, it's sometimes lonely at the top. It's sometimes, uh, you know, um, it's, you know, you've got to have a place where you can go and let down your guard and reflect and have somebody reflect back to you, you know, what's going on that you can trust. And so I think of it as a coach, as sort of this trusted advisor role of, you know, I'm here to listen to what's going on and every now and then nudge you with some questions or perhaps raise some things that, um, that, uh, that you ought to be thinking about. So I think that's a really important part. Um, and yeah, so along, that, along with that, then the community. So it is, it is lonely. It's probably one of the more lonely jobs out there being a CEO because you don't have any peers within the company. And so being part of a community uh, of like-minded leaders, very important to be with leaders who are also on that journey and aspiring to be uh, conscious leaders. Um, and whether it's through things like Vistage or IPO or, or conscious capitalism, right? We have our CEO summit. We have a community of people who are striving to be these kinds of leaders. And there's a lot of learning and support yeah. that can happen uh, yeah. in those communities for people. Yeah, I think one of the things that we experimented with and um, and has sometimes gotten traction, sometimes hasn't, is in the chapter level creating CEO roundtables because I think it's really helpful, you know, sort of based a little bit on the YPO model of forums, of creating uh, a tribe of other leaders who you feel comfortable with who are on the same type of journey and same set of values. I think it's invaluable to be able to say, oh, you have that problem too? Gee, me too, you know. Um, and, and that raises sort of a, uh, I think the final point I want to make about um, at the scale is the systems that you put in place that reinforce the right kind of leadership in an organization. 
And that's around, you know, how do we hire leaders? How do we actually promote people? And, um, and, and how are we compensating people in such a way that we're getting the right kind of leader uh, that we want in our organization? It's always interesting when I go into an organization for the first time and we're talking to people a few levels down and say, so tell me, what's the, who gets promoted here? What kind of leader gets ahead in this organization? It's a wonderful question to go down two or three levels in an organization and get that feedback about how people perceive the type of leader who gets ahead in this environment. Yeah, no, it's very true because very often companies say one thing, but then their actions reveal something else and everybody's watching and listening, right? And if people get ahead simply by delivering numbers, regardless of the human cost, and yet we claim to be a people-centered company, then you know that that's not true. I think that's, that's really critical. Who you promote, who you hire into positions of leadership, well, I think that that, um, that raises maybe the last point I want to make, which is the role of the board, because I think that um, it is incredibly important for the board to have knowledge perspective and be, be watching over uh, the leadership development process in an organization. And that means being really clear about what kind of leaders are good leaders in this organization and are we developing them? And... And then that ties to the final point, which uh, is the compensation <laughs> system. And of course, there's a compensation committee <laughs> at the board level, which is trying to say, how are we trying to reward and incent behavior in this organization? And I think that um, I was listening to somebody yesterday who was telling me that the studies are in. There are no studies. Now, maybe they were exaggerating only slightly, but they said there were no studies that support um, uh, the compensation driving high performance. So all of this discussion that at the corporate level that we were going to pay for performance and we were actually going to see it, there is not there is not a strong correlation between the, those pay for performance models and the performance of of, uh, of publicly traded organizations. And that's a board failing. You know, so the board needs to really be on top of, you know, what are we, what are we trying to develop here? Are we doing it? And are we rewarding it? Yeah, it can miss, it can go backwards, actually, because you can end up with leaders who do things to attain certain numbers on a certain timeline that will also cause their stock options to be worth a lot, et cetera. But they're actually planting the seeds for future problems uh, for the corporation. So this view that you know, people only work for money and the more money, you're gonna, you know, the more you offer, the better first talent you're going to attract. No, it's purpose, right? It's meaning, it's values. All of those things, as Mohammed Yunus said, we act like money is the only game in town, but there are other games in town. Yeah. And many of them are actually more compelling. Yeah. At a certain level, you know, money is not a motivator and we've seen that. And I think companies like Whole Foods and all these other uh, conscious companies that tend to pay their leaders more modestly compared to the industry averages. Yeah, Whole Foods has been at like you know ten percent, I think, of, of what other CEOs you know might get, and yet they did not have a problem attracting and retaining talent at that level because they're people who are driven by purpose and they're passionate about it. Whereas yeah. when you just use money, you get mercenaries. Yeah, hired guns, right? They'll go anywhere. Yeah, right? they'll they'll bump up the numbers in that period of time that they are there for, and you know you you pay the cost of that later, right? The dues come due. Uh, uh, later on. So we have to have a well-rounded 
approach to compensation and it has to include non-financial metrics yeah. uh, such as employee and customer and societal and environmental and well-being and so forth. I think you know, the good companies I'm seeing are as much as 50% yeah. of their bonuses are based upon non-financial metrics. So yes, if you want to get more involved in conscious capitalism, Raj, what do you suggest? ConsciousCapitalism.org, which is the broader movement that we're both uh, part of and have been part of. And uh, you can also look there for local chapters based upon where you are, or you can think about starting a chapter at some point uh, to uh, join as well as to build this, uh, this community of uh, conscious leaders. Well, Raj, we've, uh, we've gone through another podcast very quickly. Thank you for your time and energy today. And thank you, everybody, for listening in. And um, if you have any thoughts or comments, please feel free to go to theconsciouscapitalists.com. Uh, there's a little form. You can leave a message. And if you look on the podcast that you're listening to us on, there's a little subscribe button. Feel free to hit that. And on the website, we will also have some notes from today in terms of some reference to some of the things we mentioned. Thanks very much. 